Please turn with me to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, verses 57 through 80. Following the scripture reading this morning, we will sing the Gloria Patri, which is printed for you in your bulletin. Please stand for the reading of God's holy word. Hear the word of the Lord. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby... She gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, No, he is to be called John. They said to her, There is no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Immediately, his mouth was opened and his tongue was loosed, and he began to speak, praising God. The neighbors were all filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, What then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he said through his holy prophets of long ago, Salvation from our enemies, and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare a way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit and he lived in the desert until he appeared publicly to Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. One of my great loves in life is to read and to listen to stories. One of the stories that made a tremendous impact on me about 15 years ago was a story called Babette's Feast. It was set in the 18th century, and Babette was a chef from Paris. But she, because of the political unrest, she had to leave and go settle in a small town in Denmark where she hires herself out as a chef for room and board, and she spends the next 14 years in this small town in Denmark. One day, she wins the lottery, and she spends all of the money that she had, the the proceeds of the lottery, on a feast. It's a real Parisian feast. 
and she gets food from all over the world to arrive at this small town in Denmark. She invites everybody in the town, people of warring factions, people who have jealousies and hatred of one another. She invites them all to a feast, and they celebrate. As the dinner is being served, suddenly grace begins to wear away the the bitterness and the anger that people have towards one another. And by the end of the story, they're forgiving one another for their past wrongs. They gather together in the town square, they join hands, and they sing a hymn with joy and gladness in their hearts. That joy and that gladness came at Babette's expense. She spent everything she had from the lottery on that feast. I'm reminded of that story here in the book of Luke, the first chapter, because everyone is singing. Elizabeth's singing, Mary is singing, Zechariah is singing. They have great joy, but that joy has come because of someone else's payment, the expense that someone else would go through to demonstrate grace. That's what I would like us to focus on this morning, grace. Three things from this passage about grace. First, grace puts you right with God. How does it put you right with God? Second, how does grace enable you to serve God without fear in this life? And thirdly, how does grace prepare you for death and the life to come? First, how does grace put you right with God? Second, how does grace prepare you, or excuse me, enable you to, to serve God without fear? And finally, how does grace prepare you to meet your death and the life to come? Mercy is mentioned here three different times, one in verse 58, one in verse 72, one in verse 78. The story opens in a very unusual way. It demonstrates to us how we are put right with God. If people were going to be asked, perhaps in the Old Covenant, how they were put right with God, they they might have gotten some of it correct. But here, there's a very unusual series of events. There are two kinds of women we know that do not get pregnant. Virgins don't get pregnant, and old women don't get pregnant. But they do here. Elizabeth is perhaps around 60 years of age. Some people think she was around that old. Verse 57 and 58, her friends are gathering around her to rejoice at this son that was given to her. They would circumcise him on the eighth day in obedience to God's commandments in Leviticus 12 and also the sign of circumcision given to Abraham in Genesis 17. But they do one thing that is unique. They don't give him the family name Zechariah. Rather, God gives this son a name, John. John means God gives grace. Even in the name that God gives, he's demonstrating how to be put right. This son would be unusual. It tells us in verse 80 that the child grew and became strong in spirit. He lived in the desert until he publicly appeared in Israel. That would have been unusual. You can imagine Zechariah and Elizabeth going to the synagogue throughout their life. Where's John? He's in the desert. It's been unusual. 
But he had a unique calling, John did, to prepare the way for the Lord's Messiah. And he was being set apart for that purpose. Set apart in the desert. I'm glad that I don't have that role. It would not suit my diet. But John had that role. And there was no one greater in the Old Covenant than John. Then we're told Zechariah's song. It's a prophetic, rejoice, prophetic, joyful song that is remarkable in verses 67 through 79. It's remarkable for how much Zechariah gets right about God's grace, given that Zechariah did not have Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. He did not have Paul's letters. He did not have the apostles' teaching. But it's quite remarkable how much he gets right. And it tells us how we're put right with God. If you look with me in verse 77, or excuse me, 72 and 73, that the Lord, the God of Israel, is going to show mercy to our fathers to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham. If you remember the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis 15, God instructs Abraham to tear apart a ram, a heifer, a goat, and some other animals. And he, in a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch, goes between the animals to signify that the curses of breaking the covenant would come upon the one who broke the covenant. In other words, the person who would, who would sin and fail to live up to the covenant, they deserve to be torn in two like the animal. This is the same lesson in, in many ways that is taught throughout the book of Genesis and throughout the Bible. In Genesis 4, Cain and Abel both make a sacrifice, but Abel makes a blood offering to the Lord, and Cain does not, and the Lord accepts Cain, excuse me, Abel's offering because it was a blood offering. Without the shedding of blood, there would be no forgiveness of sins. In Genesis 22, when Isaac is put upon the altar in, as, as the Lord commanded Abraham, Isaac is the promised son, the only son from Abraham. But at the last moment, the Lord provides a ram, a substitute. And the shed blood of that ram would foreshadow the substitutionary offering of Christ. So throughout the Old Testament, there is a need for a final priest, a final sacrifice, someone to make atonement for God's people. And yet, that is what we have here in the Lord Jesus. He is the final priest. In verse 77, it tells us, that John would go before the Lord to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God. Do you remember the words of the thief on the cross that he says? Later on in the book of Luke, he, he says, we deserve what we are getting. He's on the cross probably in immense agony. And he's saying, we deserve what we are getting, but this man has done nothing wrong. It's a picture of the substitution because upon the cross, Jesus Christ is getting what we deserve. And we are getting the righteousness 
that he has merited and earned. The whole point of this book is that you would believe. Zechariah doubted. Remember, we talked about that before. Zechariah doubted, but now he has come to believe. Maybe you have had doubts. Maybe you have had fears. But the purpose of this sermon, the purpose of the book, is that you would believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. In order to put your faith in Christ, you need to know that you're a sinner. This is one of the things that is wonderful about preaching to prisoners who know they're guilty, because prisoners who know they're guilty, they need to hear that they've been forgiven. And it's a joy, it's a delight to preach to those who know they're guilty, and they need to be forgiven. Do you know that you are guilty and need to be forgiven? Grace puts us right with God. Secondly, grace enables us to serve God without fear. Grace enables us to serve God without fear. In verse 74, Zechariah is singing about this, that praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel. Verse 74, he's rescued us from the hand of our enemies and enabled us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. That brings to mind the covenant that God made with Moses. If you remember, God's people were enslaved. They were not serving God in holiness and righteousness. They were serving Pharaoh in the book of Exodus. God raised up Moses through a series of ten plagues, the last plague being the death of the firstborn. God's people were enabled to escape if they put the shed blood of a lamb over their doorpost. They were enabled to escape. They go through, cross the Red Sea. They come to Mount Sinai. And through Moses, God said to Pharaoh, let my people go that they may serve me. When they get to the mountain, God says, Moses I am the Lord your God who brought you out of, the hand, the, out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Then he gives him his law. Do the people respond well to that? No. The people worship a golden calf. They're in bondage. They are in idolatry. Even when they are brought into their own land, they serve Baal. Some of the kings put up Asherah poles, they prostitute themselves, they bow down to foreign gods, and lest you think that we are not like them, Martin Luther would say that you cannot break any of the Ten Commandments without first breaking the first commandment, to render true worship to God alone. The consequence of having an an idol, which an idol can be a, a physical thing, but it can also be many other things, the consequence is that it will do tremendous damage to not only your you as a person, but to your family, to the community. The grace that is offered in the Lord Jesus Christ is the only remedy for idolatry. Are you able to serve God in fear because of God's grace? Do you remember when Peter and John were thrown in prison in Acts chapter 4? They're not trembling with fear. They might have been afraid, but they're not trembling with fear. They are with boldly proclaiming God's word. 
Or when Peter, later in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 12, he's thrown into prison again, still very bold. Through the spirit of the risen Christ, through the grace that is offered to you, through faith in Christ, you too can serve the Lord without fear. But there's no quick fix. It doesn't come in some magical way. It comes through walking with God day in, day out, year after year after year. But you cannot be free apart from God's law. Many people today will want to tell you that freedom is just no restraints. Live however you want to live. Be whoever you want to be. But God's word tells us that we are not really free unless we are following God's law. We are not really walking with God in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days unless we are walking with him in accordance with God's law. Jesus is the greater Moses. He's come to deliver us from a greater exodus, not just the physical bondage of Egypt, but the spiritual bondage of idolatry. Grace enables us to serve him without fear. Thirdly, so first, grace enables us or puts us right with God. Second, grace enables us to serve God without fear. And lastly, God's grace prepares us to face death in the life to come with peace. With peace. Verse 70, excuse me, 69 says that God has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel. He's come, he's redeemed his people, and he's raised a horn. He's raised up a horn in the house of his servant David. Jesus is the greater David. David was a champion. He was a shepherd boy. He was drawn out from an obscure place, put over God's people. But before he was made king, he slaughtered the Philistine Goliath as a champion to symbolize that we need a greater champion who would not simply vanquish our physical enemies, but would destroy death. In 2 Samuel 7, God makes a covenant with David saying, I will give you rest from all your enemies. I will raise up for your offspring after you from your body. I will establish his kingdom forever. In verse 79 of our passage, it says that John the Baptist would go before the Lord to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the pathway of peace. I wonder if Zechariah was considering Isaiah 25, verse 8, that says the Lord would destroy death forever, that the Lord God will wipe away every tear from every face. He will take away the shame of his people. In the Lord Jesus Christ, we have one who would be a champion for us in the line of David. Hebrews tells us that Christ, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, would make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. 
Since therefore the children share in the flesh and blood, Christ himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. That is the good news that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. It has been my privilege to visit those in the hospital over the past few years, everyone from uh, people having minor surgery to people having major surgery. And I've been encouraged that these saints, walking with God year after year, are able, by God's grace, to face the challenges, the physical challenges, perhaps not without fear, but certainly with the presence of joy and peace even in the midst of suffering. We're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, even in this own church. Dare I say their names, but people like who've gone before, Robert Lewis, Frank Dolan, Arlena Mahaffey, I could mention many more, who have passed on before us, who've gone through death and are now with the Lord. And that is our destiny too that we would have the kind of peace and comfort that they exhibited all the way to the end of their life. And by grace, through Christ, you can have it too. Won't you put your trust in Christ today? Christ is the final prophet, the final priest, the final king. He's given us the final word. There is no redos. After your life is over, there is no second chances. Jesus Christ is the greater Moses who lived up to the demands of the law, the greater David who triumphed over death, the greater Abraham who is faithful and through whom grace is offered to all nations. Are you able to call him your king, your prophet, priest, and king? May you find your hope and grace in him today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you for the fullness of your revelation. We thank you that Christ has come to give us a final word, that he has come as our helper, our great high priest, that he is the Son of God come in the flesh. We praise you that everything that we have lost in the fall of Adam, we have regained in Christ and more. We praise you for the grace that is offered to sinners like us in the gospel. We praise you that the gospel of grace is making dead people alive today, throughout the world, here in our own community, even in our own church. We praise you for the eternal and abiding work of your Spirit. We pray that you would enable us not to treat grace as something that we expect or that we demand as if we have earned it, but rather that we would be amazed by it and that the joy and the hope that Zechariah had and that Elizabeth had and that Mary had, that that joy and comfort would be ours through faith in Jesus Christ. We know that the same spirit of the risen Christ dwells in us 
We pray with, for whatever sins that are in our life that you would convict us by your spirit and through the great champion of Christ would triumph over those sins and mortify them in our own life, that we would turn from them and confess our sin and repent and find the assurance of your grace in Christ alone. We pray this all in Jesus' name, to his glory. Amen.